Welcome to the Texas Values Report. This is Jonathan Sines, president of Texas Values. Great to be with you. Hopefully you've dug out of the snow (laughs) or whatever we want to call it here in Texas. Uh, Yeah, it's been a fun week. And this is a special segment of the Texas Values Report because we had a special event this week. And you'll hear more from Todd Starnes. That's going to dominate the program this week. And for good reason. Boy, that guy knows how to entertain. But sitting in with me before we get to Todd Starnes is my good friend Jessica Cologne. And the reason why is because we just finished up our annual Texas Faith Family and Freedom Gala in Houston. What a, you know, I can't think of a better place to celebrate five years of Texas Values being in existence. And Jessica has been key to us having our major gala here in the Houston area. This is the second time that she's been a part of our team for this extraordinary event. And so we decided to um, decompress for a minute (laughs) after the uh, program was over and just think about um, where we've come from, where we're going, and just, you know, it's great to be a Texan. And what a great year to be a Houstonian. I mean, you know, yeah, I touched on it, you know, my comments from the podium um, from the gala about really a a lot about tragedy and triumph, Mm -hmm. you know, and and Mm -hmm. I try to help people understand, I mean, you got Hurricane Harvey, and then, you know, being a Houstonian myself growing up here, and so on, the World Series, Houston Astros. But so much of that was similar to some of the things that we dealt with as an organization, right? We had the legislative session, we had some victories, but then we had the Texas Privacy Act go down, right? That was our main priority for the session. But then we had some a major victory in court. Mm-hmm. We had a major victory this week mm-hmm. from the U.S. Supreme Court on a very important case. And we got to relive the fantastic opportunity and victory of the Charlie Brown Christmas poster mm-hmm. case that's now been a year since this time last year. But, you know, it's just great. I talked about coming home, right? You know, our office is in Austin, but, you know, so to have the event, I'm driving into Houston, most of my family's here and so on, uh, just to have that synergy from like-minded people. Yeah, it was really a great event, Jonathan. Yeah, it's our third, is it a third one? Cause That's right. Dallas in between. And it's really just grown every single year oh. and gotten bigger and um, better, of course, more cohesive behind the scenes, but... Um, it's very clear that the support and the base for Texas Values is strong and vibrant and very much alive. Well, look, and you know, I touched a little bit on the, in my comments at the gala, thinking about, I mean, I like doing the event in Houston because the history of where Texas started is the Houston area. You know, a lot of people don't know that, right? If you're from Central Texas, other parts, everybody gets all wrapped up in the Alamo. I love the Alamo. Don't get me wrong, but we lost there. Where was Victory One? San Jacinto. San Jacinto, Alamo which San Jacinto. is which is you know in the greater Houston area, as I like to say, the area where I grew up is under the shadow of the San Jacinto Monument, mm-hmm. um, the Galena Park area, and so yeah, there's a great monument out there, and so that's where the the victory for your Texas independence was won, and so you know for the work that we do and, and my leadership, if you will, our team, so much of that coming from the Houston area just all fits together. I'm yeah. like, I like that kind of harmony. We like it too, and it, you know, <laughs> I think that Houston showed up tonight, and um, but not just you got that right. Not just locally. You know, we were talking how 
this has really gone quickly from not just regionally to but but truly a statewide event. I mean, yeah. we had people travel in from all over the place. San we Antonio, San Antonio, Dallas. Yep from uh, all the Austin. major cities and you know there's a lot of people staying in tonight overnight right. in here um and not just because of the snow so mm -hmm. you know uh it really has really become a landmark event for the organization and um you know y'all do a really great job in sharing a year in review at sure. this point you know with your major supporters and well uh, speaking of year end we're in december and so we uh were very fortunate with some gifts that we received at the gala but you know, there's still an opportunity for people before the, December 31st to donate to the work we do, txvalues.org. You can make a tax-deductible donation. And uh, Todd Starnes gave a good pitch for us. You know, I mean, it's you have someone come in, and there was a good connection. Mm -hmm. You'll hear some of that on the radio program um, with Todd Starnes, where we're, we're going to hear comments from him from the gala. So we're going to let our listeners hear Todd Starnes. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about where I live. I, I live in Brooklyn, New York, among the indigenous liberal population there, about a couple of blocks from Hillary Clinton's campaign headquarters. And you should have been there on election night, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, it was a sight to behold. The weeping and the wailing and the gnashing of teeth. I didn't know hipsters could run that fast in their skinny jeans. I mean, it was like the apocalypse. And I slept like a baby. It was wonderful. But uh, they say, Todd, why would you subject yourself to such hostility, living among the liberals as you do? And I really felt that to truly understand the American liberal, I needed to live in their natural habitat. So I do. My neighborhood is filled with, the, with these vegetarian restaurants and yoga shops and these farm-to-table joints. I don't know if you have them here in Houston. Um, the ones in Brooklyn are very organic. Uh, for example, uh, the farm-to-table restaurant in my neighborhood only serves organic eggs harvested by Amish midwives. I mean, it doesn't get much more organic than that. I'm also, according to my mailman, the only member of the National Rifle Association in the zip code. Now, I want to say this about the NRA. You get about a pound of mail from those folks a month. I don't understand why. But they also give you, when you join the NRA, NRA a, a big ball cap. It's a, it's a black ball cap, and it's got the gold letters NRA. You can see that thing from a mile away. Well, in my neighborhood on the weekends, all the liberal adv advocacy groups gather outside our local supermarket, and they are always asking for money. I'm talking about the Greenpeace and the, the, um, the Planned Parenthood people, and I mean, you name it, they're there. The PETA folks, and they're the worst. They're very aggressive, the anti-meat-eating crowd. And um, so one day, I was. this is right about the time that Hurricane Sandy was bearing down on the city, and um, I had to get some provisions. Now, New Yorkers have never survived a hurricane. They've never been through a hurricane. When, my when I was a kid, my dad got transferred to Louisiana, so we've been through a couple, and all you need is a pork butt, some duct tape, and a six-pack of Abita Springs root beer. That'll get you through the hurricane. So that's what I was going. I was going down to the market to get my provisions, and uh, I grabbed my NRA ball cap, popped that thing on my head, and something very interesting happened. As soon as all those liberals saw that NRA ball cap, it was like Moses parting the Red Sea. They didn't want to have a thing to do with me, except for the PETA woman. 
And I came out of that market and I had my pork butt under my arm like this and I had my six pack of Abita Springs root beer and she stops me dead in my tracks and she says, sir, she had one of those vegetarian skinny fingers. She said, sir, do you love animals? I said, only if they're deep fried and kept right on walking. That's true story, true story. Well, you know, I, uh, I believe that faith and freedom go hand in hand. Um, we learned this from the early days of our country. I cover these kinds of stories at Fox News Channel. I talk about them on my radio program. And I really consider myself to be the voice for all of these stories that are out there. Shining light, as the senator said, on a dark world. You know, for the past eight years, Americans were told that we were the problem, that we were not a Christian nation, that we were not an exceptional nation. Our traditions and our values were ridiculed and marginalized. We were mocked by Hollywood and dismissed by the academics, bullied and belittled by the sex and gender revolutionaries. But all that changed on election day when a man who promised to defend religious liberty, a man who promised to make America great again, was elected our president. Now, now I have to be honest with you, uh, Donald Trump was not my first pick uh, for the Republican uh, nominee, and uh, he wasn't my second or third or fourth or fifth choice. But on election day, he was the only choice. Now, when I wrote the Deplorables Guide to Making America Great Again, I have to tell you about this. Um, we weren't quite sure where this election was going to go. And I was writing the book as we were, as you know, before the election happened. So we had an alternative title if um, you know who won. And uh, we were going to call it, We're Doomed America, Your Guide to a Happy Apocalypse. But fortunately, fortunately, we didn't have to write that book. You know, President Trump made a lot of promises out on that campaign trail. And I know it's shocking a lot of people in the mainstream media. And it's shocking a lot of Republican voters because he's actually doing what he said he was going to do on the campaign trail. I was dumbfounded. I don't. It, who, wow. It turns out that he, in fact, nominated Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court. But as as Kelly Shackelford will probably attest, even more important, he is putting conservatives and constitutionalists on the lower courts, which is very important. And I believe. And I believe that Donald Trump so far is the most pro-life president in modern history. And I believe that this president has done more to protect religious liberty than any president in modern history. And I just pray that Congress will muster the courage to defund Planned Parenthood abortion mills once and for all. I say not a single tax dollar, not a dime. 
Now, last month, the Trump Justice Department released a sweeping memorandum that will protect religious liberty across the federal government and the United States military. President Trump vowed to put the Christ back into Christmas. And based on the, the, the Christmas cards and the celebrations that we've seen from the White House, he delivered on that promise. By the way, I tell a story in my book, uh, The Deplorable Sky. President Obama, his first Christmas in the White House, he and Mrs. Obama actually wanted to have the nativity scene removed from the White House. Fortunately, social secretary stepped in and said, you know, that's not a good idea. But they kept pressing and pressing, and ultimately the social secretaries won the argument. But you just think about this for a moment. Their very first Christmas in the White House, and the Obamas wanted to kick the baby Jesus out. That's what we were dealing with for the past eight years. And one other thing before I get into the heart of my remarks. President Trump did something this week that presidents dating back to Bill Clinton had promised us they were going to do, but they never delivered. But now I can say that President Trump has affirmed that the capital of Israel is Jerusalem. And he told our embassy staff, pack your bags, folks, and call the U-Haul because we're moving it to Jerusalem. You heard this warning, though, from the Attorney General, and I want to share it with you. Even though we are winning this war on religious liberty, the fight rages on. When Ronald Reagan was elected president, many conservatives decided, well, our job is done here. And they grabbed a, a jug of sweet tea from the refrigerator and they sat back in the lazy boy. And before you know it, we had read my lips, no new taxes. And then we had a community organizer in the White House. You see, the fight continues, ladies and gentlemen. Earlier this week, Jack Phillips was in the Supreme Court, the highest court of the land, pleading his case. Jack Phillips is probably like a neighbor of yours or somebody you go to church with. He wasn't looking for the limelight. He's a soft-spoken, hard-working man, runs a mom-and-pop bakery in Denver, Colorado, Masterpiece Cake Shop. I had Jack on my radio program just a few days ago. Jack told me because he refused to bake that cake for the same-sex couple, because he refused to participate in their wedding ceremony, he received death threats. One day he said he got a telephone call from a man. He said, I'm coming down to your shop, I've got a gun, and I'm going to shoot you in your head. His daughter, grandchild, were in the shop. He told them to go and lock themselves in the back door. You know, I asked Jack, after all that he's been through, he's lost 40% of his business. He's had to lay off half of his staff. He continues to face threats and boycotts. I said, Jack, knowing what you know now, would you still do it? And he said, Todd, I would do it. I would do it. Because you see, Jack was following his beliefs, his belief in God, his belief in what the scriptures say. It's very difficult to take a stand when things get really tough, but Jack Phillips took a stand. In some ways, he's like a modern-day version of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you bow down to the government, 
or do you take a stand? Jack Phillips, he took a stand. What about Colonel Leland Bohannon? He's an experienced combat pilot with the Air Force. First Liberty Institute is representing this man, a hero, decorated. He was suspended from his command. He was about to be named a one-star general. But he declined to publicly affirm the same-sex spouse of a retiring subordinate. And because of that, this man's career could be over. But fortunately, First Liberty Institute is defending this good and honorable man. We know the sex and gender revolutionaries and the cultural jihadists are on the warpath. You've seen that here in the great state of Texas. In Charlotte, North Carolina, teachers are told they should stop calling the children boys and girls and ladies and gentlemen. They suggested more gender-inclusive terms. And that got me to wondering what the gender-inclusive word for stupid was because there's a whole lot of it in Charlotte, North Carolina. But we're also seeing it happen on Capitol Hill where lawmakers, when they aren't chasing around the secretaries and the interns, they're badgering Christians. Bernie Sanders went after Russell Vaught, one of President Trump's nominees. He's an evangelical believer like many of you in this room. He was deemed unsuitable for office because he believes salvation alone is found through Jesus Christ. And Bernie Sanders said that kind of religious belief system is really not someone who this country is supposed to be about. Then there was Amy Coney Barrett. I know we have a good number of Catholic brothers and sisters in the room. She's a law professor at Notre Dame, and she was grilled by Diane Feinstein because Feinstein was concerned about her dogma. She says, the dogma lives loudly in you, and that's a problem. She was also interrogated by Al Hansi Franken and Senator Dick Durbin, who demanded to know if the professor was an Orthodox Catholic. Well, I've got a word for those Democrats. I really wish they would have called me because I'd be proud to tell them I'm an Orthodox Southern Baptist, went to a Church of God school. I don't speak in tongues, but I think I can interpret, and I'm a pretty good jumper, too, during the songs. And the evangelical Christian dogma lives loudly in me. And by godly, if we all continue to follow the teachings of Christ, that dogma is going to live even louder. Now let me tell you something else. I want to explain to you why Texas values is so important. For one thing, when Jonathan or Andy send me an email, we end up doing a story about it. We provide coverage to get the word out about these cases. But let me tell you something, there's a great big target on your state. There's a great big target on every southern state as well. There's a guy named Tim, Tim Gill, he's a tech millionaire, he lives in Colorado, and he is funding these fights on religious liberty bills in every state in the country. And I want you to hear this word from Mr. Gill. This is what he told the Rolling Stone in the June 23rd edition, read it for yourself. He said this about all of you people in this room. We're going to punish the wicked. The death threats, the attacks and the boycotts, that's where it's all coming from. You know, President Reagan said freedom is just one generation away from extinction. Last year we came pretty close, didn't we, folks? Now, I'm not a theologian, but I tell you this, I believe that God saw fit to give our country a second chance. I sure do. 
Franklin Graham, Franklin Graham told me on my radio program that we were at a moral tipping point. But I believe the reason why God saw fit to give our country a second chance is because of people like you in this room. Like young people all around this country who are taking a stand in their classrooms, young Shiloh, taking a stand for religious liberty, taking a stand for what is right in America. You see, ladies and gentlemen, I have hope in America. I still believe that we, the people, can restore what former President Obama fundamentally transformed. And I believe that together we can forge a new path. I have hope in America because of young men like Alex Dunn of Fayetteville, North Carolina. His teacher tried to set the American flag on fire in the classroom. That young man whose father serves in the military, when that flag would not burn, the teacher got frustrated and tried to tear the flag, but the flag would not tear. So the teacher threw that flag on the floor and began to stomp on Old Glory. And that 16-year-old boy jumped up out of his chair and he ran and he snatched that flag from his teacher and ran out of the classroom. He delivered that flag to the principal of that school and said, Sir, this flag has been desecrated. It needs to be taken care of. You see, Alex Dunn would not sit there and allow the flag to be desecrated. He took a stand. And I have hope in America because of a young person named Thomas Gunderson. I interviewed him on my radio show from his hospital bed. Thomas was there in Las Vegas on that terrible night. When the bullets started flying, Thomas ran towards the danger. We saw that happen here in Houston, Texas. When the floodwaters rose, grown men, big, strong men, they got onto their pickup trucks and they brought their boats. The Cajun Navy came over from Louisiana. You know what? The mainstream media, they're hollering and screaming about toxic masculinity, but by golly, I didn't hear them hollering about toxic masculinity when they needed to be rescued from the floodwaters. Old Thomas, he was shot in the leg, terrible pain, and he heard President Trump was going to come by for a visit. And he said he was going to stand up, no matter what, he was going to stand up for his president when that happened. And they said, no, Thomas, you're in too much pain. you got to stay in the bed. But you've seen the pictures. You've seen the video. You saw that man, that young man, standing up in pain. But when the president walked in, he stood tall like a man, and he shook the president's hand. You see, I have hope in America because of the good people of Brandon, Mississippi. They were told by a federal judge appointed by President Obama that if you do anything remotely religious in this school, we're going to fine you $10,000 per violation. Well, it turned out the high school marching band was doing a rendition of How Great Thou Art. And the principal started doing the math and he realized they had enough to cover the tuba section, but that was about it. <laughs> So we told those kids, I'm afraid you're not going to be able to do your halftime show anymore. It's against the law. Well, Friday night football came there in Brandon, Mississippi, and it's a hot, humid night, much like here in Houston, Texas. Football's a big deal in Mississippi, too, by the way. When halftime came, the football teams, they trotted off the field, and suddenly there was just an odd silence that permeated that stadium. And then suddenly, there was a, a rustling on the sideline. It was a teenage girl, a cheerleader. She put down her pom-poms and she began singing a very familiar song, 
O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder. And soon, one by one, people in the stands began to stand to their feet. Teachers and hairdressers and police officers and construction workers, moms and dads and grandmas, and soon the entire stadium. They rose to their feet in defiance of their federal government, and they sang that beautiful song, How Great Thou Art. And I want to ask you this, who among us is willing to stand? Who among us is willing to stand with the Alex Dunns and the Thomas Gundersons and the good people of Brandon, Mississippi? You know, they're going to try to silence our voices. They're going to try to bully us into submission, but we must not be silent. We must not be bullied. And like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we must not bow down. You see, there's... There's a quote often attributed to that German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. Not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. And I believe this is a Bonhoeffer moment for every Bible-believing Christian in America. God's little lambs can no longer be silent. We are to be civil lambs, but not silent lambs. Like my friends, the Benham brothers said, we've got to roar like the lions. And you see this, this is why Texas values is so important. I want to share with you an illustration, and I'm going to close here in just a moment. I want to share with you an illustration of the power of one human being, one person who takes a stand Stephen Williford is a plumber by trade, a good church-going man, soft-spoken man, big heart. One Sunday, he got a call from his daughter. Daddy, somebody's shooting up the Baptist church. Mr. Williford didn't even stop to think. He grabbed his gun and he ran out of his house barefoot. That church was about a half a block away. And he heard the gunshots there at the First Baptist Church of Sutherland Springs. And he knew that with every gunshot, somebody had just died. So that man, like a brave Texan, took cover behind a pickup truck. And in his bare feet, he took aim and he shot that gunman. He stopped the carnage of that day. But as we know, the wounded gunman got away. So what did Mr. Williford do? Well, he waved down a pickup truck and they gave chase 90 miles an hour until the gunman crashed his car. Now, Mr. Williford is a private man, doesn't cotton much to talking to all those reporters and those television cameras, but he did say this, and I want to share this quote with you. I think my God, my Lord, protected me and gave me the skills to do what needed to be done. You see, he ran towards the danger, and he saved lives. Why did he do that? Why did he put himself in harm's way to save a stranger's life? Because life matters. That's why all of us are in this room here tonight. In closing, there's a scene in that great movie, We Were Soldiers, The Battle of the Ladrang Valley. I love that movie. Lieutenant Colonel Hal Moore and his Army Rangers were surrounded. The enemy was advancing and all appeared to be hopeless. Joe Galloway was there. Texas boy, by the way. A reporter was caught in the melee. When the bullet started flying, he dropped to the ground. 
Well, in the middle of all that chaos and the carnage, there stood Sergeant Major Basil Plumley, and he was resolute. And he walked over and he delivered a swift kick to the reporter who was trembling in the dirt. And he said, you can't take no pictures from down there, Sonny. Then he tossed that reporter a rifle so he could defend his life. But the reporter rejected the weapon. He said, no, I'm a non-combatant. And that old crusty sergeant major looked at that reporter, that Texas boy in the dirt, and said, son, there ain't no such thing today. My fellow countrymen, we are surrounded. The cultural bullets are flying. The enemies of freedom are advancing. And the time has come for all of us to stand resolute. You say, Todd, but I'm not a fighter. Well, there's no such thing today because we are freedom's last line of defense. So I say this, do not hold liberty's light under a bushel. No, hold it high. Let the flame of freedom burn bright for all the world to see. I believe it's time for every gun-toting, Bible-clinging, deplorable American to take a thunderous stand for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And let our prayer be on this day, as Pastor Cruz said, that our great nation will once again be that shining city on a hill. God bless you all. Thank you very much. Well, it's great to hear Todd Starnes in Texas really talking about things from the national perspective, but also bringing it home for what these things mean to us as Texans in the important role that we can play. And so I know many of y'all weren't able to make it to the gala. Um, we're going to work on putting a video together that's kind of the highlights of it. But, you know, if you've listened to the show before, you know the importance of our work. We need your financial support before the end of the year so we can continue to do the work that we do for faith, family, and freedom in Texas. Go to txvalues.org, make a donation today, and we'll be right here next week on the Texas Values Report.